<clears throat> in 1 Samuel 24, we have David doing good, suffering ill, and Saul's bloodlust. Hear now the word of Almighty God, inspired by his spirit and profitable for us, 1 Samuel 24. And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engidai. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats by the way where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the Lord, the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee. Yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee. And the Lord avenge me of thee. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. 
And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killedst me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men got them up unto the hold. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24, a most instructive and dramatic passage in the word of Almighty God. Verses 1 through 8, we have Saul maliciously seeking David's life and David graciously sparing his. Saul took 3,000 chosen men, that is the best warriors out of all Israel. How many did David have? 600. That means for every one man that David had, Saul had five. Impossible odds, we would say. He sent to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats, verse 2 tells us. This was a dangerous journey, a difficult journey, most inconvenient, why? To pursue his wild fancy that David had done him some evil. He came to the sheepcoats by the way where was a cave. We would call these pins. But in the ancient world, if you had a large cave, you could bring your animals in when the weather was bad to keep them safe from wild beasts. So if it was too cold, you'd have the uh, temperature of the stones. If it was too hot, you'd have the temperature of the stones. So these were sheep coats in these caves. Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. This is what we call a euphemism. When a man covers his feet, in this case, it means to relieve himself, the call of nature being answered. Providence put Saul right in David's hands right at David's disposal, to do with him whatever he would. And notice verse 4. David has a somewhat unruly band of men at times, men who don't necessarily have the same faith as him or not as strong as his, men who often are lawless, and they say, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee. Now, it's important for us to understand that faith always has an object. And the faith of a Christian, the object of it is God himself. We believe God. But God has given us a means by which we may believe in him. He's ha he has what we call an indirect route to take to him, and that is his word. What has he promised? What has he spoken? What has he commanded? So when we have faith in God, we must have faith in his word, in what he said. Now notice, the men of David say, the word of God says something. 
And it doesn't. It does not say what they said. It does not say, God is going to deliver your enemy into your hands, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Whatever you want, you can do to your enemies, and God will make sure that they'll be delivered into your hand. God never said that. He never spoke that. You may read in the Psalms many things about David calling the wrath of God down on Saul. You may read of that extensively. You may read of David praying that God would break their teeth in their mouth, make them fatherless, make their children fatherless, make their wives into widows, crush, destroy, rout, cast them as chaff to the wind. You may read all these things. Do you ever read, David, I promise, I'll put your enemies in your hands and you'll do with them whatever you want. It's not there. There is no revelation from God. And how, pray tell, do they come up with this doctrine? Now let's put ourselves in these 600 men's shoes or sandals for a moment. You've been away from your wives for weeks or months. You're hungry. You're tired. You're stressed. Your own king is hunting you down to destroy you and David. Isn't it about time to go home? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just with one fell stroke of the sword be done with all of this? And then you, David, you can become king like God said. You see, we are apt to construe God's word or his commandments or his promises by what? What we want. What providence seems to put in front of us, we say, well, this must be the word of God. No, it's not. We must interpret the providence of God in accordance with the law of God. And what does he command us? What does he promise? What does he command us? That's what we do for our duty. If we look back and we say, God has worked all things in providence for my good, great. If we look forward and say, well, now you should kill him because providence has dictated that it's time for him to die, that's no way to interpret the word of God. That is to corrupt the word of God. It is to corrupt the text by our lust. These men may have lawful desire to do good things, but they cannot infer corrupt things that the Bible never said, that the prophets never said, in order that they may satisfy their desires. Let us learn to directly receive our duty from the word of God and not to put a gloss upon God's word to suit our fancies. We must view providence through the lens of God's law. We do not live by history, we live by laws. Then David arose. He cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. God preserved David by a singular providence so that Saul did not notice him. Did he use wise and cunning ways? Of course he did, but Saul still could have found him out. And he didn't. Rather, David's intention is to show Saul, I'm doing nothing wrong to you, and yet you hunt me down like a dead dog. And even though David did this with a good motivation, notice there in verse 5, David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Now the act itself was well intended, but God requires honor to our superiors. Saul being his superior, both in family and in state, David owed him a duty of honor. 
It is not respectful to your superiors to cut off a portion of their garment. It's just not. Is it as bad as murdering him? Of course it isn't. It's much less worse. But David's conscience, his heart, struck him. Guilty, it said. You should not have done that. That was not in accordance with God's law. You must not disrespect your superiors. Now, if we measure David by other men, by Saul himself, he certainly appears very righteous. Saul's hunting him down to kill him. But David doesn't necessarily measure his conduct by Saul's. How does he measure it? What saith the scriptures? What does God require of me in his law? Not how wicked is my adversary, so I'm not as bad as him. No. His heart strikes him. Let us not measure ourselves by ourselves or by men. We will think then that we are wise, that we are good, that we are noble, until we measure ourselves by God's law and then we find out we're foolish, we're unwise, and we are corrupt. We're not noble. Then we may seek refuge in the Savior. Then we may actually know our duty and learn to repent of our real sins and not have fake virtues that we put on. Now notice verse 6. He refers to Saul as his master, the Lord's anointed. Though foolish, though an apostate, yet his office, Saul's office, was to be honored, though Saul himself was dishonorable. David would not rise to the throne by steps stained with the blood of Saul himself. He would not violate the fifth commandment, disrespecting his master, nor the sixth commandment to take his life unjustly just for the greater good of society, you might say. Or maybe he could even say for the fulfilling of God's word. So David stayed his servants with these words. He suffered them not to rise against Saul. Now this word where it says he stayed them means he tore them in two. Here's their purpose to kill him. Here's them. He tears them apart. He prevents them from doing what they intend. David then follows Saul out of the cave and respectfully addresses the king. Verses 9 through 15, David rebukes Saul's malice and pleads his innocence. Notice there in verse 9 what David says. The way he frames it is very interesting. David said unto Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt? Do you know what this is called? This is called covering the infirmities of your superiors. Was it other people who told Saul that David did evil? No. In fact, God informs us that Saul came up with these brain-sick delusions on his own. But David assumes that if his king and his lord is hunting him down unjustly, it must be at the instigation of others and not at Saul's instigation. This is extremely important. Our larger catechism talks about the duty of inferiors to cover the infirmities of their superiors. We have a right, and we might say we have a duty, to cover over the sins and the infirmities of our superiors, and so David does. Wherefore hearest thou men's words? The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, defense and maintenance of their persons and authorities, 
according to their several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love, that so they may be an honor to them and to their government. Did David do this? Did he owe this duty to Saul to reverence him in his heart, in his word, in his behavior? Did he owe it to Saul to bear with his infirmities, to cover them in love? Yes, he did. And so David fulfilled these commandments from God himself. Let us be men and women, boys and girls of the fifth commandment. Let us learn to honor those to whom honor is due. He says that the Lord, in verse 10, David speaking to Saul said, The Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. Providence made an open door, you might say. Many people judge of God's will by whether it's easy, whether the way is plain and open in front of them, whether it seems like an open door that God opened. Well, did he open a door to kill Saul? Well, you might say, yes, if you're one of David's men, if you're like Saul himself. But if you're like David and you think about God's law, was that an open door? No, that was a test of your faith. Will you keep my commandments when it's easy to disobey? Or will you still do what I say, even when it's very difficult to obey what I say? Mine eye spared thee, David said. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. It would be a double sin. A sin against the sixth commandment, a sin against the fifth Providence had put Saul as his master and as his king. And God had directly appointed through Samuel that Saul be king. This is a proper subordination to providence and the divine law. The law telling us our duty. Providence pointing out the persons to whom we owe it. Duty is ours. Consequences are God's. Let us not do evil that good may come or subordinate the divine laws to these open doors, as men call them. I have not sinned against thee, he says, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. David is righteous. Saul is wicked. Saul has no grounds for suspicion, but every ground to trust David. And that's what he's demonstrating with the skirt of his robe. The Lord judge between me and thee. God is a righteous judge. Though men may abuse us, though creatures may crush us to the ground, God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgments. There is a day of reckoning between David and Saul and between us and any who would come against us. The Lord avenge me of thee, he says, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. David did not sin by saying this to his superior. This is proper. This is right. You will have God as your adversary, but I'm not going to take it out on you, he says. God will repay. Saul is reproved. And there is a time and place for those under authority to reprove those over them. Even Saul, the great king, the Lord's anointed, there was a place and a time for David to reprove him. Lord, judge between me and thee, by the way. This gives us a paradigm for understanding the Psalms. 
David calls himself righteous. He says he's innocent. He says he's without blame again and again and again. How? By comparison with Saul, by comparison with his enemies, and also prophetically concerning his greater son who would be absolutely righteous in every single way. So the Psalms give us both. Verses 16 through 22, we have Saul's first lying surrender to providence. Saul's going to claim that he surrenders to God. Is this thy voice, my son David? So Saul weeps. Matthew Henry notes as follows. He says, many mourn for their sins that do not truly repent of them. They weep bitterly for them and yet continue in love and league with them. Let us not be as Saul, not to be sorry for our sins and yet not stop them, not break them off by repentance. That's what God calls us to. Thou art more righteous than I, hands down. David, you're more righteous than I am, he says. You give me good, whereas I give you evil, and so forth. I continue to give you evil, you continue to give me good. And every time I get good from you, he says, I give you more evil. This is correct. And God commands us to do this very thing. Do good to them that despitefully use you, the Savior said. Pray for those that persecute you. Love your enemies as David did. Never imitate Saul's malice doing evil when people do good to you. For if a man find his enemy, Saul says, will he let him go well away? Of course not. You find your enemy, God puts right in your possession to destroy them. Are you going to let them go? Of course not. I know well that thou shalt surely be king, Saul says to David. Now this is extorted out of him, you might say. God pressures and pushes Saul to confess this. Should he not have confessed this of his own will? Should he not have confessed, yes, David shall be king, praise God. Let me begin to train him to become my successor. Is that what Saul did? No, fights and fights and fights until God in his providence strikes him down and says, no, you're not going to stay. Your family will not be king. David will be king. So God says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some will bow unwillingly. Some will have the confession extorted out of them as Saul does, but let us not be of their number. Let us confess willingly that Jesus Christ is Lord. The kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Your power will be sovereign power. Your kingdom shall have no end through your greater son. And then he makes David to swear because in this case he was afraid that David would act exactly as he has acted to try to cut off a competing line. David would not do this. So he swears and Saul goes home. David and his men getting themselves up to the hold, not trusting in Saul's promise not to kill him, knowing that he probably is going to chase him again, which in fact he does. And thus far the exposition of 1 Samuel 